Hello, and welcome to the Enneagram in a Movie podcast, part of the Awareness to Action podcast network. This is the podcast that looks at one film in each episode and uses it to explain the nine types and three instinctual biases of the Enneagram model of personality. One movie, one type. My name is Mario Sakura, and I'll be joined by Maria Jose Munita and Tamara Zanatti. We are the principals of Awareness to Action International, a global consulting and training company that specializes in practical applications of the Enneagram. You can find out more about us and our work at awarenesstoaction.com. In the meantime, make some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Enneagram in a Movie podcast. I'm Mario Sakura, and I'm here with Maria Jose Monita. Hi, Mario. Uh, unfortunately, Tamara's not able to be with us today, but we do have a special guest, a uh, a good friend of the show, and in fact, somebody I consider, I would go so far as to call him the spiritual godfather of this podcast, uh, uh, the, 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 the great and legendary Enneagram teacher, Tom Condon. How are you, Tom? Walking and talking. That's always a great way to start the day. It's good to have you with uh, with us. The reason I referred to Tom as the spiritual godfather of the podcast is because Tom uh, has written a book. Uh, what is it? Three editions now? Four editions? Uh, the Enneagram Video and Movie Guide. Is, did yeah, I get the title right, At least Tom? three. Yeah. At least three. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Tom has been teaching the Enneagram since, what, the 70s? Give it. Give us... Quick background, Tom, on, on, yeah, on was, you and your Enneagram It was 1949, experience. actually. 1949, uh-huh, um, yeah, the war had just ended. The, the late 80s. I came across right. the Enneagram in Berkeley, California, where I lived, where Helen Palmer was conducting kind of evening classes, and most of my friends were therapists, and they, um, they knew about the Enneagram. It was in the air. This this would be 1980 or so. I I had a private practice in NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and Ericksonian hypnosis. Once I learned about the Enneagram, I thought that would be a sort of massive compliment to the kind of thing I was doing, mm-hmm. which was helping people change, but with uh, systems that were not good for understanding the whole person. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram was sort of the other way around, at least at that point. Everything was negative. The names were all insulting, the names mm-hmm. of the different Enneagram styles. And there weren't very many recommendations about what to do once you knew all these bad things about yourself. Right. And I had a, with with my background, the emphasis was on growing and changing and outgrowing limitations. So it seemed like a kind of natural marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. late in the 1980s, I started teaching it. Once uh-huh. the books okay. came out, and there, people didn't look at you blankly when you mentioned the name and <laughs> ask if that was the same thing as the pentagram. Right, right. I still get that on occasion. Yeah. So um, I, I remember back then I was introduced to the Enneagram in 1994. And uh, around that time, it might have been shortly thereafter, came across your um, set of recordings, Easy in Your Harness, that uh, uh, I found very instrumental in my understanding of the Enneagram. So uh, we've been friends for a long time, but I've been following uh, your work 
for even longer. Uh, Maria Jose, what do you want to say about Tom? Um, he was one of the first teachers that I heard about and I keep seeing him at conferences and like his style. (laughs) I like your style, Tom. I like it, how you observe and, and we're going to talk about that in another podcast, but how you navigate the Enneagram community in a masterful way. What we're going to do, we're going to, uh, Tom's going to sit with us as we talk about Jerry Maguire and Enneagram Type 3, which is our topic today. And then we're going to have a more general conversation, um, and uh, which will be part two of this episode. Now, the, the reason we wanted Tom on here, number one, he's one of the handful of uh, Enneagram teachers that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And he kind of uh, did a lot of really great work around the Enneagram in movies and using movie characters to help uh, bring to light the Enneagram types. Uh, Tom, take a quick minute, if you would, and tell us kind of how you started with that and why you settled on that or kind of uh, landed on that as a way to talk about the Enneagram. I started kind of noticing that about 1990, uh, noticing that there were Enneagram types in certain films. And the kind of epiphany that I had what came from watching Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde ah. uh, with Frederick March, the old one. Wow, yeah. Where he turned from virtuous, one-ish Dr. Jekyll into a kind of maniac seven uh-huh. um, with an eight streak. And that just blew my mind. Mm. Uh, just realizing I was seeing it without knowing that I was seeing it, mm-hmm. which is an... A broader experience people have with the Enneagram, you know, that that was, I just had a thought. Yeah. That was, yeah. (laughs) Okay, good, good, good. All right. So, so so. anyway, I was the, the guy who published the audio series that you're talking about, uh, Uh Easy in Your Harness. He worked for the National Catholic Reporter. He oh, also published uh, Richard Rohr's early stuff, yeah. Clarence Thompson. Clarence, yeah, Clarence. Uh-huh. And he and I were friends, and he was also publishing a quarterly mm-hmm. called Enneagram Educator. Right. So I started a column and were reviewing movies. And the gotcha. idea was to let people create panels for themselves rather mm-hmm. than you know, the two, the two problems with the Enneagram were what to do with it and then how to get good at noticing Enneagram styles and identifying them. That's, yeah, yeah the, that was a reply. Gotcha. Gotcha. And anyway, the one thing led to another. I did a, a column for a while. I went rollerblading for uh, the first time in my life, first and last time in my life. And I, I broke my leg in six places. And while I was so you had recovering, some time on your hand, huh? yeah. I had some time on my hands. So I fleshed out what I had written uh, for the, the column and turned it into a book. Gotcha. And so for anybody who has not seen the book, I highly recommend it. Um, it's, I think, in the third edition now, you said the Enneagram 
Video and Movie Guide? Is that movie still the title? Movie and Video Guide. Movie and Video Guide, right? Yeah. Uh, available on Amazon and uh, other great places to get your books. So check that out. Now we're going to get back. Um, after we talk about Jerry Maguire, we're going to spend some time talking about the Enneagram in general and Tom's approach to it and the Enneagram world in general. So uh, please stick around after we talk about the movie. So let's take that and get into the movie, Jerry Maguire. Um, Jerry Maguire was released in 1996, starring Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., who actually won a Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in the movie. We're seeing another movie by our friend Cameron Crowe from the last episode, who also wrote and directed Almost Famous. This was um, this was prior to Almost Famous, and uh, kind of when Cameron Crowe was at his peak. It's a movie that uh, did pretty well. It made, uh, I think, $274, $75 million uh, worldwide on a budget of about $50 million, I think I saw. So very profitable. Tom Cruise was um, also nominated for an Academy Award. And uh, the movie was quite quite a big deal at the time. In our view, this movie really represents Enneagram Type Three. And whenever we do trainings, and you know, want people to get a sense of what a three looks like, we always say to them, just watch any Tom Cruise movie, and you're basically seeing a three in action. Okay. Uh, Tom, do you see the same sort of pattern in Tom Cruise and Type Three? Yeah, I sure do. I was thinking about it, too. This movie that we're about to discuss, Jerry Maguire, is almost the same movie as Rain Man. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yes, yeah, of course. Of course. Where he goes from being a slick, dissociated, three-ish salesman to somebody who gets in touch with their heart, basically. Yes, yes. And, or... In the Jerry Maguire case, he goes in and out of it, but finally okay. at the end of the film, why he's landed in it. Yes, yes. It's interesting. So uh, we'll come back and talk about the three in a minute. But for me, this movie, uh, first of all, really did capture the three in ways that we'll certainly talk about. Um, it almost felt like a, uh, I wouldn't even say a redemption movie, but almost a salvation movie from my view. Right. I mean, this um, this character who does feel lost, right, without knowing it at first. And I think the same thing does apply to Rain Man, right? This character who seems to have it all together, but then realizes he's an empty, lost soul and seeks redemption through the heart, through relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, in this case, I think that the whole movie is kind of three world. And as we've done with the previous movies, it's not just one character, but the the whole theme of the movie. And in this case, it's kind of the industry. It's three -ish. The mm -hmm. characters display three kind of characteristics. And definitely Jerry Maguire is a good, really good example of a three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, before we come back to talking about how the movie describes the three, uh, let's talk about what a three is, right? For those people who are still learning about the Enneagram. And so we have our way of talking about the three. And then, Tom, I'm going to ask kind of how you talk about threes, right? And, you know, what in your mind makes a three? Uh, but for us, you know, what we've been doing is, first of all, identifying the kind of the classical Enneagram characteristics, right? So there's the, you know, the classic vice, 
of the three, which is deception, okay, creation and promotion of a false identity. Uh, there's the fixation, which is vanity, you know, kind of love of the image and obsession with the image. And then there's the, the virtue, which was truthfulness, okay? um, a hunger uh, for honest identity and experience. And those themes are certainly on display in this movie, right? I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of conversation about honesty and truth and brutal truth and, you know, that sort of thing. So with the awareness to action approach, uh, we talk about, you know, preferred strategies and the strategy is striving to feel outstanding, right? This desire to stand out, to be accomplished, to be recognized. Again, something that exudes in this movie uh, we also talk about the uh, core quality of value and how our sense of value becomes stunted in us early in life and the you know the 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 key challenge of the three is to find that sense of inherent value independent of accomplishment uh, which can be difficult to do in an accomplishment driven world Okay. Value so, of themselves, you mean? Exactly, exactly. And and how is it distinguished from what I do, right? Uh, you, you know, we, we talk about how an infant has fundamental inherent value. You know, you bring an infant into a room and everybody kind of gathers around like it's this precious creature. Uh, when in fact they don't have a huge amount of uh, return on investment, right? Uh, you know, with with babies, the, the you know the the things they do, you know, they're a cost center, right? The things they do are not so pleasant, but they're cute, and but we cherish them anyway. But later in life, our value becomes based on what we do in life. And there's a lot of, well, this is what I do in Jerry Maguire, too, but we'll come back to that. So I'm curious, Tom, when you think about threes, what, what characteristics stand out for you? I work with people. I do a lot of uh, coaching. And one of the things that I look for when I work with threes is a split between who the person is seeming to be versus who they really are deeper down. In other words, a split between who I fear I am versus a uh, who I'm in the process of trying to become. And who I'm in the process of trying to become is the opposite of who I fear I am. So I grow up poor. I'm trying to be rich. I have a self-image that relates to that. But the poor person that I, I was when I was growing up, that's, that's following me. And when threes, I'm talking about when threes are in their trance, when they're at their best, they're kind of in touch with their heart and uh, have leadership qualities and a, a kind of idealism that lacks irony, uh, a, a kind of uh, a sincere, heartfelt layer of sentiment or, or stream of sentiment towards the people in their lives. But on the low side, when they get caught in their pattern, they, they split. And who they're trying to become is kind of tells you who they're trying not to be. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm uh, whatever it is, I'm kind of trying to impress you with or trying to put across to the world, then there's an insecure Achilles heel element to that that's less conscious. And as threes grow and change, those two polarities get closer and closer together. There's some of that in the film we're going to discuss. And as threes grow and change, they become really authentic to themselves. I mean, the, 
the trick with twos, threes, and fours, I think, is becoming, in a, in a broad way, becoming more real instead of playing a role and getting lost in the role and over-identifying with the role. When we talked about Almost Famous, there was this theme of honesty as well, right, and truth. And mm -hmm. uh, just to tie that to your point about the two, three, and four. Awareness to Action offers a unique approach to applying the Enneagram professionally with leaders and organizations, as well as for personal development. What makes us stand apart is our Enneagram expertise and focus on understanding human nature. We know people because we see people. And this is a skill set that can be taught and learned. Human nature is complex and simple at the same time. Our mission is to help people see clearly and act accordingly. Why? Because the ability to see ourselves and others clearly and honestly is essential. It enables us to act in more adaptive and useful ways. The multicultural team and awareness to action will help you learn tools and practices to become more aware and also to understand and engage people more effectively. Learn more at awarenesstoaction.com. Join us at 2021 for exciting learning opportunities. In our approach, what we also see in threes is the connecting points. And the two connecting points for the three is six and nine. And so they're striving to feel outstanding, but they also use the striving to feel secure as a, um, something that they neglect. So they try, they kind of avoid it, but you can see that there's this anxiety underneath and that they want to feel secure about what their, I don't know, their goals are, if they're going to be able to accomplish what they want and all of that. And also they use the support strategy of striving to feel peaceful. And so they kind of avoid conflict, unnecessary conflict, or all the things that prevent from them for them for, to get to their goals, accomplish what they want. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we see in threes is that there is something that what we call the accelerators, that it's what it helps nurture the core quality. And it's in this case for the threes purpose. So writing and working on a personal purpose can help them find that value. So it's not someone's agenda that they're following with no sense of direction, but it's mm -hmm. their inner kind of guidance that they get uh, from this purpose that they can develop. Yeah. It comes from the inside out. Yeah. Rather than the outside and, in. Yeah. And we'll see that definitely in the movie. That, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big part of the movie. It's kind of what yeah. sets off, you know, uh, Jerry's crisis, but ultimately his redemption is this idea of, you know, it's not a memo, it's a mission statement, as he says. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> you know, throughout. So just to, for anybody who has not seen Jerry Maguire, and I'm curious, Maria Jose, had you seen the movie prior to us picking it as a movie to talk about? Yes. Years you ago, had, okay. Years when ago, it came or, out. Okay. And yeah, because you're, we are kind of coming to newer movies now. And <laughs> so I've seen them. I was old enough uh, when they were released. So uh, this one I remember. I remember the quotes and the you complete me and those phrases did have an impact. And yeah, so I remember okay. it. I watched it. And good. 
Good. <laughs> All right. Great. So, um, so Jerry Maguire is a, a, um, a sports agent played by Tom Cruise. And he has this, he's on top of the world. And then he starts to, he has this bit of a crisis. One of his client's sons, you know, kind of uh, makes him feel bad. And so he asks himself, you know, who have I become? And he has this uh, kind of personal crisis uh, that he tries to solve by creating a mission, uh, writing a mission statement for his company, which gets him fired. He decides he's going to start his own sports management company, but the only person who goes with him is Dorothy, played by Renee Zellweger. And uh, who is a 26-year-old single mother who's kind of got a crush on Jerry and also is touched by his idealism displayed in the mission statement. He ends up only with one client and uh, through the course of the movie falls in love with, well, first of all, breaks up with his fiance, falls in love with Dorothy, uh, becomes friends with his client. They all teach each other about love and commitment. And after trials and tribulations, they live happily ever after, at least for the uh, two hours and 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, he honestly, turns, it, it, it turns into the Tom Cruise we like. He turns because he does start out as the Tom Cruise we don't like, quite frankly. Uh, you know, I, you know, I had seen this movie when it came out, and probably had seen it, you know, here and there over the years. Uh, when I rewatched it the first time for this podcast, I kept thinking, I really don't like this guy. Right? I mean, I just, I just do not like this guy. And when I watched it again last night, I think I was a little more sympathetic. It might have been the whiskey I was drinking, but the, you know, I, I did, I, I felt some sympathy for him. But you know, he really does, particularly in the beginning of the movie, display those lower side of the three qualities. Go ahead. In my case, it's interesting because I don't particularly like him, but. It was the opposite. When I watched it for the first time prior to the podcast, I felt sorry for him. It wasn't mm -hmm. like I didn't like him. It was like, poor guy, you know, right. and I could see him struggling. So I yeah, liked him more than I even wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. So general reactions to the movie. Maria Jose, what did you think about the movie in general? I was just astonished that how much three there's in the movie. So it was, <laughs> you know, because I watched it the first time years ago without that kind of filter. And right. now it was just three everywhere. So yes. I, I was just, I couldn't get that thought off my mind. I think it was a, also a sweet movie. As I say, I wasn't disgusted by all the kind of superficial American typical kind of things that, that were there. I, I, I went straight to the kind of the struggle, the, the suffering of the characters, and, and I enjoyed it. Good. I want to come back to that American thing in a moment. Uh, uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but Tom, what, what's your general reaction to the movie? And here I'm talking North American, not just. I, I, we're going to get to that, Maria Jose. Hold, hold that thought, okay? Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Go ahead, Tom. It was very three ish, and it was very much a type of Tom Cruise movie. And then, like, Maria Jose says the the whole context was very three-ish. The whole yes. sports agent, just the realm of sports, yeah. at least in the way that it was presented. I was kind of aware of some of the connections to other characters. 
and the the interplay and the dynamics. For example, the fiance that he broke up with yes. struck me as at least three ish. You know, yeah. it's it wasn't definitive, but she was yeah. she was pretty much like he was. Yeah, a three and, with an edge. Yeah, yeah. and the um, the sister of Renee Zellweger, Bonnie Hunt, played by Bonnie Hunt. She was she was pretty one-ish. And yeah. it was a kind of you know moral tent pole for the yes. for the film in contrast. And then she sort of came around. So that helped you like Tom Cruise a little more. The Renee Zellweger character I thought was pretty 90. Yeah. And uh, in a very receptive, kind of spongy, kind of humiliating way. Until she, <laughs> until later in the film, where she really found her feet and found yes. her voice and began yes. being a, a kind of uh, through line for him. Yeah, she became sort of the adult in the relationship eventually, right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was one of the, you know one of the, the probably the most famous performance in the movie is Cuba Gooding Jr. Right? I found him sort of sevenish you know uh, sort of you know we, we, what we would call a transmitting three but a, a bit back and forth on yeah me too enneagram type me too yeah yeah, yeah. but it, but a great performance i thought yeah he uh, was very good and fun. they were meant to sort of mirror one another too and right you know at each phase at each right uh, okay, good. So, um, a few scenes we're, we're going to take a look at here. So, we, we have to start with the opening of the movie. I mean, you know, the credit sequence. And so, you know, we, we made a joke about the North American thing. Um, you know, uh, it was more like a, an, it was an insult, actually. Well, it, it was. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, you know, it, it was not a well disguised insult. So that's no, that. But no. that's okay. Uh, so, so Maria Jose is from Chile. And what people in the United States forget so often is that America refers to a whole half of the world, right? North and South America what? are part. Of, yeah, I know. I know, Tom, this is news to us. We live in the United States of America, but uh, tend to think of ourselves as America and Americans. Uh, you know, that points a bit to the self-centeredness, I think, of our self-absorption, perhaps, of uh, the United States, which I would suggest is a pretty three-ish culture. Right. Uh, I don't think that's a, a particularly bold statement. And if you remember how the movie opens, it's a satellite going around the planet and then focusing on the United States right? and then zooming down on to uh, starting to talk about athletes and these great young athletes. Go ahead. But before, before they start talking about the athletes, when yeah. they zoom to the United States, it says, oh, OK, n that's better. You know, like, <laughs> I don't care about the rest of the world. <laughs> now, now I'm talking, right. This is all I care about. It's <laughs> the United States. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you seem you seem confused by that, Tom. So, 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 so what's your point? What the problem is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so uh, the, the you know from that, but that does send a message. I think you know again, it speaks to the cultural aspect, and 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 we do see that you know even though certainly not everybody in the United States is three. There are these cultural overlays that we see, you know, when we look at different countries, different cultures, right? Uh, you know, we've all talked about this and, and talked about different countries. The U.S. is certainly 
a three-ish culture, right? It's about achievement and accomplishment and looking good. And all In terms of what of, it, it unconsciously values. Yes. Yeah, and sometimes consciously. Now. Well, yeah, same. That, that there's obvious stuff like uh, we have a lot of billionaires now and mm-hmm. they're looked up to in a certain way and mm-hmm. business successes and sports and uh, celebrity of all kinds. Yeah. That's not, that unusual it's in every culture to a degree mm-hmm. but but it's really kind of more fundamental right. within our culture that if if uh if someone in europe wins a lottery they're considered nouveau riche whereas right. if someone in america wins a lottery they suddenly jump class yes so th- th- there is certainly this um worshiping of success in this country and no matter how that success is earned sometimes right to your point right winning the lottery is not a a huge feat right uh you know it's it's not a herculean effort uh towards self-improvement it's just spending a buck on a lottery ticket you know but that doesn't matter so this sets up the whole you know the beginning of jerry Maguire is all about this now he's a sports agent after they show these great athletes and he's talking about how these athletes are going to be stars and rich and successful and you're going to see them in the olympics it um uh, cuts to him going into he talking about himself. So he is a movie. I'm sorry, I keep wanting to say movie agent, but he is a, a sports agent, and they show him schmoozing at some meeting, you know, and mm-hmm. he's kind of glad handing people and, um, you know, network flattering people, telling them how great they look, all these sort of things. We also get another cameo from Jan Wenner uh, as the owner of the sports agent. He showed up in a taxi. And almost famous as well. He was Cameron mm-hmm. Crowe's boss at uh, Rolling Stone. Uh, but again, who sort of exemplifies sort of a three-ish quality in my mm-hmm. view. When, when they're talking about, when they're kind of showing all these stats with all the accomplishments of the sports people, there's this boy playing golf who made a mistake and, well, didn't kind of do what he, he wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. And he was blaming the coach, you know? Yes. Which is also kind of not accepting failure, which is three as well. So Jerry Maguire, in kind of a voiceover, he says, uh, I handle the lives and dreams of 72 clients and get an average of 265 phone calls a day. It's what I do, right? Again, it's that emphasis on, you know, look how awesome I am. You know, I do all this hard work and I make all these great things happen, Um Let's see. He he tells he's on the phone at one point telling a uh, client, "I will not rest until I have you holding a coke, wearing your own shoe, playing a Sega game featuring you, uh, singing your own song, being played on a broadcast of a Super Bowl that you are winning." And I will not sleep until it happens. There was a a character in a TV show that talked like this, and a friend of mine's grandson said, "He sounds like an old teenager." <laughs> And I think yes. that's that's sort of how Tom Cruise sounded at the beginning of this film, too. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we, we would, uh, you know, the, the term wasn't popular then, but he certainly classified as a bro, you know, um, in using today's terms. And, and, and when he was going around talking to people, he was telling everyone what each person wanted to hear or needed yes, to hear. Right. And it was right. amazing how he could just find the right word to tell that person to kind of seduce them and charm yes. them. In yes. my version of things, he would have had a two wing. 
Mm-hmm. I know you don't yeah. do wings, but yeah, uh, yeah. two streak. Yeah. So for for uh, Maria Jose, would you would you would you see him as a transmitting three in the movie? Yes. For sure. So um, for us, Tom, you know, the transmitting three is, you know, what others would call the sexual three, you know, but it is that fundamental need for that one to one connection. Right. That's there uh, kind of mixed with this need to to show off. Right. And, you know, so we're seeing the same thing, I think. Right. Uh, You know, just using different terms, perhaps. And, And it points to me. Because so we see all this stuff and then he is with a client, a hockey player who has a concussion and they're all standing around him in the hospital room waiting for him to come out of the concussion, see if he's okay, come back to consciousness. And this was his, I don't know, fourth or fifth concussion, maybe. And the the player's son, who was, you know, maybe 11, 12 years old, says to Jerry Maguire, you know, somebody needs to stop him from playing. And McGuire's checking his, you know, his uh, BlackBerry and he's saying, ah, you know, nobody can stop your dad. He's going to get back in there. He's going to be awesome. Be great. And the kid, you know, <laughs> you know, basically curses him off. Right. And uh, and it's at that point, McGuire seems to have a crisis of of uh, conscience. It's funny because I think when he was saying that nobody can stop your dad and all of that, he was sure that he was saying the right thing. You know, what the right. boy wanted to hear and that he was going to get away with it. And mm-hmm. he was surprised when the boy reacted in that way. When um, midlife crises are presented sometimes in films and books, a lot of times there's, there's a three-ish quality to it. And it's not unusual for threes to have something like a midlife crisis if they've suffered a massive defeat, which is what the film shows. Or if they've actually succeeded brilliantly at what they started out to do and decided to accomplish when they were 13 years old. And then right. they're 40, they they've have enough money beyond the dreams of avarice, and they've accomplished everything they set out to do, and then there's this now what quality to it. Exactly. And, and the connection to nine also involves going in circles sometimes on the low side. Where and he 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 kind of demonstrates that where you don't you're frantic and you're you're grasping and you're lost and you're you're still trying to stay moving as fast as you ordinarily move, but actually your sense of purpose and connection to what you're doing is is obscured. Yeah. So it's so he does start to have this crisis, and um, it's it was interesting for me the water themes during his his dark night of the soul. Right, first he's on an airport bus uh, in the rain, and he's starting to question, "Who have I become?" Then he he's in the hotel room, and he has a dream where he's underwater. And he wakes up and decides to start writing a mission statement, right? He has this inspiration and it's raining outside of the, uh, of the hotel window, right? So and he's sweating uh, and he's sweating. Yes. Yes. Great. Uh, and, and water very often in imagery represents uh, baptism, right? Rebirth. It's this moment of, you know, um, uh, coming out of the womb, coming clean into the world. And so he gets this inspiration and starts writing uh, a mission statement, 
which was originally going to be one page, but he couldn't stop writing. And it, he said, I have so much to say and no one to say it to, which was interesting. Um, and he writes a 25-page mission statement. Uh, what else did he say here? It was the me I always wanted to be. And he even creates a cover for it that was based on the book, The Catcher in the Rye, which I found was an interesting choice for the cover. I, I He's trying, Jerry... to get, trying to get fired. <laughs> so do you, do you think he was aware that he was trying to get fired or was that a, this subconscious no. working? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but it's funny that as threes usually do, he did it in a way that it was well presented. It looked like a novel, you know, and it was yes. just a kind of a memo, a mission statement for his peers, but the cover looked like the cover of a book. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and a book I have a hard time seeing Jerry Maguire reading, right? Uh, the Catcher in the Rye. It's not a Jerry Maguire kind of book, uh, but, uh, you know, probably a book that he was familiar with. So he made it look like that. And so it was interesting. I don't know if you remember what the copy guy said to him when he went to get the copies made off. The copy guy says, uh, wow, that's how you get great, man. You hang your balls out there, right? And, you know, so Jerry Maguire's feeling real good until he wakes up in the morning. Right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, ahead, but, but before before that, it, when he was writing it, and he was kind of thinking, and we could hear that he said, um, "There's no purple purpose in all I'm doing." So there's the purpose theme, yes, uh, that we have been discussing, and also I had lost the ability to bullshit, and I mm. think that it's kind of this thing that you can do, say whatever people want to hear, but then he had momentarily lost that ability the, the yeah. connection to six can contribute to that sometimes where the person is, becomes well they become more honest and they become more kind of not self-aware exactly that's not guaranteed but they do they're easier with the whole idea of admitting their fears for example mm -hmm. and uh we'll we'll do it with people they feel close to he wakes up and freaks out <laughs> yeah, so he, he and, yeah. and it was a nice kind of uh, setup to the freakout because he's watching the TV show Hawaii Five O, and it's an episode about somebody setting a time bomb somewhere, and they cut to Jack um, Jack Lord's face, Jack Lord, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, he says um, the boom, and that's when McGuire realizes he made a huge mistake to distribute copies of this to all of his coworkers. Uh, he goes down into the lobby. All of his coworkers are gathered there. He's hesitant to get off the elevator, but he does. And everybody starts clapping right? and, you know, touching, you know, tapping their chests and, you know, sending him love. And one of them says, well, fi so finally somebody said it. But they all know that, you know, his career's over, basically, for having done this. It's more collective threeness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it really was, um, you know, again, even that collective, you know, organization or group represented threeness in, in a huge way there. Right? Now, I have to uh, particularly call out one of my favorite bit actors, Jay Moore, who plays Bob Sugar in the movie, who I just thought was fantastic, played, you know, the ultimate sle sleazy, slimy Uber three, uh, you know, for anybody listening who, you know, uh, wants a, a good taste of Jay Moore, he did this really short lived TV series called Action, where he played a Hollywood talent agent. 
and was Bob Sugar on steroids in that movie. And a, a really funny mm. movie. So a really mm. funny series. I encourage fans to watch that. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. Okay, so the next scene here is um, the bachelor party. and um, It was awful. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how can could someone think that he was going to enjoy it when it was so insulting. I just... I, <laughs> yeah, tell, tell us about the bachelor party, Maria Jose. So they made this video for him with his um, former partners or uh, girlfriend. And at the beginning, they say nice things about him, but then all of a sudden it starts to be to become kind of just insults to him, that he can't be alone, that he can just, he's really bad at intimacy, that he's a good friend. And he's a liar. And, and that he's a liar, yeah. yeah. And, and they, they all start saying, you know, uh, love you, you know, kind of imitating him, you know, kind of schmoozing, love you, love you. And then you turn and you see his co-workers kind of looking at him and saying, love you, love you, in the same sort of way. And in, here in North America, we call that a roast. <laughs> yes. He was roasted. Yes. And, and I think and, it was even... Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. Well, and the the things that they said in the film were all true. And he sort of knew it. And you could see in the way it was registering how uncomfortable he was because it was true. So there was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a brutal scene, right? I mean, it was just painful to watch and you could see him kind of disintegrating there in front of the room, right? First of all, he, you know, he walks in, he puts on this big show about, you know, being surprised when he knew all about it anyway. Uh, you know, it's a lot of back slapping. And then before you know it, he's reduced down to a puddle of nothing, uh, before he leaves and then ends up getting fired, you know, in a very humiliating way. Loses all of his clients, except for one that he's able to hold on to, which is Rod Tidwell, again, played by Cuba Gooding Jr. And this is where the famous uh, show me the money scene happens, right? Uh, uh, Rod Tidwell keeps him on the phone for so long that he ends up losing all of his other clients in the meantime. Something we kind of skipped over here is uh, his initial interaction with Dorothy that I, I wanted to comment on because uh, Dorothy, again, the Renee Zellweger character, she's listening to Tom Cruise talking about how wonderful his life is while he's in first class. And she's sitting in coach with her sick little boy or, you know, was allergic to the blankets or something. She's kind of idealizing this guy. And I'm listening to him and thinking, oh man, I just want to punch him in the face. Right. And, uh, but she's kind of googly eyed about him. But then when she loses her son, in the baggage area 
you see this side of him, which I find interesting, and again gets to this contradictory thing that we see in threes of he knows who she is, right? She's kind of a nobody in the organization, but he, he knows who she is and where she sits and what's in her cubicle. Uh, and he helps her. He's very supportive and helps her find her son. What did that say about threes to you guys? It didn't say too much to me about threes, but <laughs> uh, except that you know the the scene in the baggage uh, pickup area was meant to establish that after all he's Tom Cruise, uh-huh. you know, sort of a good guy yeah. underneath it all. And then I thought the way that she was presented was sort of degrading. Yes, <laughs> I mean, it just seemed kind of like she was this gooey, you know, pile of romantic yearning and uh, helpless and not very competent. And, you know, it was pretty sexist. But like I said, the, the arc of her character in the film got better. She, yeah. she And it was all, to me, it was kind of 90 uh, not just the way she was when she was idealizing him, but also when she was speaking in a blunt, truthful sort of way later in the film. That part was kind of nice. And when she was talking to the um, her son when he appeared, and when he, it was like, don't ever do that again or something like that, but she wasn't even angry or didn't seem to be angry. I, d- I do think that what he did, like saying everything that he knew about her, that he had paid attention to her, it's a kind of transmitting three characteristic, like paying attention. It was a way to seduce her or to charm her by saying, look, I know you, I know who you are. I pay attention to you, but then all about me. Yes. Uh, yes, that's catnip for a nine. Also, mm. to be really noticed and to be really yes. seen into, and to be recognized, and to be to to, to count in some way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm go- I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little more generous stance on that whole characteristic in in the character because it's something I see in my clients who are threes of this genuine tenderness and caring underneath right and i think i think the threes are particularly in the enneagram literature one of the types that gets uh, unfair press right you know because there is this tendency to emphasize the things we're emphasizing right this phoniness of the character uh but to miss this genuine heartfelt sensitivity uh, that they have. I can't tell you how many threes I've w- worked with who would, when they start talking about what they want for their family and what they want for their employees, will start to cry, right? I mean, really, mm-hmm. and yeah. and it comes from a real place. And then you can see when they start to feel the pressure of the world again, they just sort of switch over to this other character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think it's important to, you know, be fair to threes and give them credit for having this real genuine heart quality that often gets overlooked. The connection to six also will bring a kind of loyalty Hmm. and they Ah. can really be sincere in their commitments and really sincere in their sentiments as well. Yes. Which is a theme that comes back and we'll get to when we talk more about the relationship with Dorothy. Okay. So what um, what I also saw in that scene is that when she started kind of telling him all the things she remembered and liked about his mission statement. It was like being seen for real for him, that Mm -hmm. it wasn't all those kind of 
all the applause that he got from his uh, co-workers, but it was someone who really saw through all of that and saw him and what mattered to him. And it, he felt, I feel like uncomfortable. It was, it, it, you could see that it was new to him. Certainly different from what he went home to. His fiance Avery, right? Because the next scene is, you know, him in bed with Avery. I, I think it's the next scene, uh, him in bed with Avery. And uh, she's a very different character, certainly not a nine, you know, uh, kind of threeist, a pretty tough, aggressive person, right? So it was, it, we'll come back to Avery too, but certainly a, uh, a different kind of relationship than he was used to. Well, and the two relationships mirrored his change also. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. All right. So uh, the next scene, so we talked about the bachelor party. The next scene for me is when, um, so he's only, he has one client, but he thinks he has two clients, right? And the the, the one that he thinks is his client is uh, Cushman, the who's going to be the number one draft pick into the NFL. So he's a, a prize quarterback coming out of college. They have a, uh, Cushman and his father have a verbal agreement with Jerry to be uh, their representation. So Cushman is his big prize, right? He's the jewel, whereas Tidwell is kind of a second-tier player at this time. And so when Jerry goes to the airport to see his two players, he brushes right past Tidwell and goes to Cushman and is glowing over Cushman with all the reporters and that sort of thing. And poor Rod Tidman is uh, Tidwell is uh, asked if he is Hootie uh, by some kids in the airport, which uh, just <laughs> of Hootie and the Blowfish, Maria Jose, for you know, in case you weren't aware of who that meant, you know, but uh, a, a real humiliation of that character. So they they fly to New York again. It's all about it's all about Cush. Tidwell starts to get upset, and uh, eventually uh, Jerry Maguire gets screwed over by Cushman and his father, and uh, who go and sign with Bob Sugar instead, meaning that uh, pretty much uh, Jerry Maguire is wiped out and only has one client that he has to go with. In the scene when they're at the hotel and they're getting these phone calls by the uh, reporters and they don't want to answer the phone, and Cushman says that he doesn't want to take the phone because he says talking without saying anything is not my art mm. but jerry goes and takes the phone yeah, yeah <laughs> i do that well yeah. but he pretends to be cushman yes right? and um and and while he's on the phone he gets the news or he finds out that he's being screwed over by bob sugar and the cushmans so it's at this point where jerry hits rock bottom right he also during this scene breaks up with avery who repays him for all the love in their relationship by uh, punching him in the face a couple of times, kneeing him in the abdomen and calling him a loser, which is, you know, the ultimate insult for a three. Uh, and then we see uh, Jerry and Tidwell taking a taxi rather than a limo to the, to the airport, a step down. And it's here where Jerry says to Tidwell, why are you with me? I'm a loser. Right? So yeah. he's at bottom now. So there's another scene before that when he's in the car, when he thinks he has Cush Cushman and he's singing the song that it's playing on the radio and he doesn't know the lyrics. So he, he changes the music and <laughs> chooses something that he knows. And then he sings again. It's, it's interesting how in all those details, you can see three world as well. Mm -hmm. 
now he's got to work his way back. He um, so he gets drunk. He goes home and he calls Dorothy, and they have what has to be the worst first date ever. You know, if you could even call it a date, where he humiliates himself and basically, I guess, gropes her and you know tries to kiss her inappropriately, which for some reason did not seem to you know and you know put him into the uh, do not date category for her um but time <laughs> times have changed <laughs> yes uh for the better i think uh, for for sure um so but this starts their relationship and so what i wanted to talk about is kind of the the contrast in these two relationships and frankly the believability in the relationships because i you know again watching at this time i really struggled with the believability of that relationship uh, share your thoughts with me what's your read on the relationship with avery well she seemed pretty three-ish and it seemed like i said it seemed to mirror his condition it was pretty obvious that she would have been an enabler and then some and then the Renee Zellweger character was meant to be a kind of opposite in the, in the sense of contrasting three with nine, I would say. And, you know, she, she was, that also meant that she was a little bit of a doormat in contrast to the aggressive uh, fiancé. But uh, she got better. You know, she, got, she, she found, her, found her voice. Yeah, I think with Avery, it was like a trophy and also felt like forced to marry. He, 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 when he was telling the story about how he proposed, he was kind of pushed into a corner to propose. And with Dorothy, I think he fell in love with the boy, with Ray. Mm-hmm. And that he could feel. It was easier for him. And, and then he realized slowly that he liked or felt something for her. But it was just uh, an, um, trying not to be alone. I don't think he felt anything at the beginning, but he yeah. couldn't. It was like he couldn't access that. He didn't have mm-hmm. any idea of what that felt like. And he learned about it as the movie kind of passed. So, but it kind, yeah, of went, think- kind of went back and forth. She would, he would kind of dip into it and then lose it and... You know, it was it was very gradual that way. Yeah, but he didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, he, yeah, he was clearly incapable of understanding what a you know a, a real relationship was like. It seemed to me, right? And uh, you know, and, and w- w- when you go back to the the clips on the uh, bachelor party, the, the videos of all the old girlfriends, they were all talking about how he couldn't be alone. And really what that talked to me about is the needs, uh, the need of the three to be mirrored by other people, right? You know, I always talk about how the, you know, the three figures out who they are by how other people perceive them, right? And if there's nobody there to perceive me, it's like the proverbial tree falling in the woods, right? You know, does it make a sound? Well, you know, who knows, right? So do you see that in threes, Tom? Well, I also see it in extroverts. Mm. So uh, there's certainly the three-ish motivation, but if somebody is an extroverted three, mm-hmm. they're, what they learn is how to go from paying a, attention to outside measuring sticks to 
getting in touch with what comes from the inside out. And that's a that's a learning for extroverts too. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what their Enneagram style. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Riose? What I would also highlight is that for him and the relationship with Ray, the boy, when they're talking, he just can't listen to a boy. It, and, and he wants to be listened uh, to by him. And it's just ridiculous because he's the grown up. I mean, he's supposed to be the adult there. And he said, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, all my life, I wanted to talk, like really talk. And um, it's interesting how kind of immature he seems to be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rather than um, bad intentions, I think it's just immature. And mm-hmm. kind of matures throughout the movie a bit, a bit. Yeah. When he loses Cush, they realize he doesn't have enough money. It's actually not when he loses Cush. They go. He gets Tidwell a commercial. Tidwell doesn't like how the commercial's being done because they want him to sit on a camel. And uh, having sat on a camel, uh, I understand why he didn't want to do it. Right? I mean, it's it's not a fun experience. Uh, it, it, it you know maybe something you have to do once, but after that, it gets kind of old. But uh, anyway, um, uh, so they end up losing the commission for that and dorothy decides she's going to take a job in san diego and uh so they have this awkward exchange by the moving van where they basically decide to get married they get married at the wedding you can see there's going to be problems right away and in particular it's on uh, uh it's on view when they are watching the video of the wedding um they they really turn that video around quickly because it's right you know the same day of the wedding they're watching the video of it which was kind of odd you know but uh but they notice that he does not look particularly happy to be getting married he seems uncomfortable like what did i get into exactly right uh now dorothy picks this up as well uh rod tidwell picks it up looks at dorothy they have this awkward exchange and it becomes clear pretty quickly that uh he is not so sure he made the right decision about getting married so he starts spending all of his time on the road going to the games that tidwell is playing in his only client even though he doesn't need to be there Um, working working yes throws himself into work say more about that Tom. Well, that's that's what you do. You, you you throw yourself into activity. You throw yourself into a mode where you're a human doing. And and uh, in in my experience, if if you probe around a little bit with an individual three who's doing stuff like that, what you get are um, conversational metaphors about being a robot or the yeah. Terminator or an automobile, a race car, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. metaphors but mm-hmm. that are embedded in in idioms that are embedded in how they're talking but they're also indicators of their internal state yeah and of course the you know the thing about a robot is that it's kind of a soulless creature right uh, without a heart without feelings and emotions etc so um yeah you just so again, check things you check things off your to-do list and you feel like you're going to live forever but it's also a dissociated state. You're you're out of touch. Good. Um, so while he's on the road, um, he has a um, you know he has a number of conversations with uh, Rod Tidwell, the Cuba Gooding Jr. 
character who is in a very different relationship. Okay. I mean, he's, uh, his relationship with uh, his wife is very emotional, very connected, very, um, you know, to the point of codependence, perhaps, you know, or loss of uh, sense of agency almost, um, but clearly something different. And there's one point where Tidwell is challenging Jerry saying, you know, why are you on the road? You know, why aren't you going back, you know, loving your wife, being, you know, living in your marriage? And uh, Jerry says to him, not everybody has what you have. Okay. Then he asks him, well, why'd you marry her? And to get back to your earlier point, Tom, do you remember what he said as his justification? Loyalty. Yeah, loyalty. because she was loyal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So say, say more about that, Tom, if you would. Well, I, I'm not, I don't have experiences with threes who uh, got married out of loyalty or mm. because somebody else was loyal to them. But uh, there are threes who have stable, long-term marriages, and there's a, that's a factor. Yeah. And the factor is related to the connection to six, in my mind. And it's related to a kind of pledge of the heart that the person makes and is capable of and, and is sincere about. Are you interested in learning more about our approach to the Enneagram? Go to awarenesstoaction.com and check out our certification program. We offer a clear, concise, business-friendly, and science-minded approach while maintaining the depth of traditional approaches to the system. At Awareness to Action International, we're the leading innovators in the theory and pragmatic applications of this system to all aspects of the work environment, including leadership and personal development, team building, diversity and culture, and managing change. However, this approach is not just for the business world. A lot of people who attend our trainings do so for their own self-development or spiritual growth. Our certification program is one of only a handful of curricula accredited as a school by the International Enneagram Association. It is currently being conducted virtually and combines live sessions with asynchronous learning. Again, find out more at awarenesstoaction.com. And loyalty is a theme, right? I mean, there is loyalty to the player. Right. Uh, there's loyalty that he shows towards Tidwell. There's loyalty that, um, you know, Tidwell has toward him, sticking with him when nobody else did. Right. So this is clearly something that's important to Jerry Maguire. Now, uh, things sort of uh, come to a head when there's, uh, you know, Tidwell is uh, up for a new contract and he turns down a contract that he thought was beneath him. It's the last game of the season, and it's his chance to shine, to prove that he deserves more money. He has He's having a great game, making a lot of catches, but he's taking a beating during the game from the opposing defense. And then there is a scene where he catches a ball in the end zone, and when he lands, he kind of... They make it sound like he lands on his head. He doesn't really lands on his back. But um, And then he lays there, supposed to be unconscious for a while. Everybody, his family watching on TV is concerned. Jerry's concerned. Oh, no, here goes my gravy train, right? Uh, uh, his career might be over, et cetera, et cetera. Tidwell lays there with all the doctors around him and all the other players gathered around until finally he opens his eyes enjoys the moment jumps up starts dancing carrying on 
uh, there was a famous scene, you know, when it came out. I can't tell you how much it bothered me watching it this time, right? Because uh, having seen people uh, injured and knocked unconscious, they don't just jump up and start dancing around, right? Which made me think, okay, is he faking this whole thing? In which case, well, what a jerk, quite frankly, you know? So um, that scene kind of bothered me, you know, I have to say when I watched it this time, but, you know, it was crowd-pleasing and everybody's excited and Jerry has this, you know, they're excited because now he's going to get a big contract. They hug each other after the game, show each other lots of love. When Jerry sees him talking to his wife and kind of breaking down into tears, he realizes he loves Dorothy and apparently runs home from uh, Phoenix to L.A. Uh, to be with Dorothy. <laughs> Which we don't um, believe for a moment. <laughs> well, well, certainly not that he ran from Phoenix to L.A. because it's about a thousand miles, I would think. But, uh, you know, he clearly ran to the airport. And Keep this is where he found there. He left his phone. Uh, yeah. Because, oh, did he? Right. Yeah, uh, Tidwell was using his phone. Oh, I, I, I had. He runs without that. a phone. That, yes. That's hard to believe for me. <laughs> I would never do that. I can believe it. It was 1996. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. So, um, so he goes back to see Dorothy. She's in the room with the angry divorcees. You know the uh, the support group that the sister runs. And they have this uh, sweet, tender moment, you know, where he professes his love and, you know, tells her, you know, you complete me, which he had stolen from the deaf couple in the elevator earlier in the movie. And uh, she stops him with, you had me at hello, right? And apparently they live happily ever after. Now, again, my cynical side is coming out and saying, I don't buy a minute of it. And... What I really caught this time that was interesting to me is what he was saying towards the end of that little speech is what a cynical business this is, right? He's, you know, um, and it it was a real metaphor to me for the, the movie industry, right? I think he was a thinly disguised Hollywood agent, right, uh, for the sake of this movie and for Cameron Crowe kind of wielding his axe against uh, the Hollywood system. And I don't know, for me, the, the ending felt a bit cynical. It felt a bit manipulative. And, uh, you know, I was almost wondering if Cameron Crowe was in on the cynicism of the ending of the movie. Uh, now that's me at my unromantic best. Uh, I don't know. After, how did you after, yeah. after everything, it was a rom-com. This is true. This is true. And, yeah. and, and it gives me something to think about, but your perspective, but in my case, I saw it, as I said before, he didn't know how to love and yeah. he didn't know how to have a real relationship. And I think that, he had a breakthrough, not that he realized that now, oh, now I love Dorothy. It's like, okay, this is how, what it feels like yeah. I'm having a good moment and I want to share it with her. When, when he gets the phone call, he says, Dorothy, and it was um, Tidwell's wife. Mm -hmm. And he realized that he wanted to share that moment with Dorothy. And I think that he, he felt, that's my interpretation, like, okay, this is what it is. Now I know. So I'll yeah. go back to her. It's not like he fell in love with her at that moment. He, he understood what love was and then went back to her. Yeah. The wife, uh, Cuba Gooding's wife in that film, 
was kind of eight-ish. But yeah. when she talked to him on the phone in the scene that you're talking about, she was really vulnerable. Yes. And uh, there was a there was a kind of nice contrast that yeah. that I've seen yeah. in AIDS anyway. Yeah, yeah, the weak ones. So uh, <laughs> the sissies, yeah, sissies, 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 and girls, just girls. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> in in fairness, you know, there was also this theme of you know how do you know when you're in love? Well, you know when you know. Right. And uh, so I hear what you're saying, Maria Jose, about that moment when, ah, okay, so this is what it feels like. And uh, so I, I don't know, maybe on a, you know, a, if I got up on the right side of the bed, I would be more generous toward, uh, <laughs> toward the end of the movie there. That was well acted, actually. You could see it in his face, what Maria Jose is talking about. I, yeah, for, for sure. And, um, and you, <laughs> why are you smiling, Maria Jose? Go ahead. Wait. Yeah. You see, you just have to learn. You just, no, go ahead. <laughs> so um, uh, I will say Tom Cruise was really good in this, right? Uh, I don't know if he was playing anything other than Tom Cruise. In the movie, but Tom Cruise is a great actor. Well, is he a great actor? He's a great actor playing Tom Cruise, I think. Uh, and uh, there are certainly movies where he has been phenomenal. Uh, usually, not his more famous movies, I think. But what was was it Magnolia uh, that he was in? I think that was probably one of his best characters. Anyway, um, so for sure, as uh, a movie that captured three, I, I also want to, you know, again go back to this idea of redemption which is so important. And, uh, you know, even when he was being fired, there was this, you know, he looks at the water glass uh, for a few moments, you know, and again, it's this theme of water as washing away the sins and growth. There, there's something else I think that it's, um, that I've seen in threes and it's this ability to get the best out of people around them and be kind of cheer them up and kind of, just make them grow and be the best they can. And and he certainly yeah. did that. And also be inspiring. And you could see when they were hugging at the end, Tidwell, how another player said, why don't to Bob Sugar, <laughs> why don't you do that? Why don't we have that? Why don't we so, have that relationship? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it and was that, and it seemed honest. You know, it, it did seem from real. From the player. Yes, yes, from the player. No, no, and and the 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 hug between Tidwell oh, and oh. Jerry, it was something real, and it was inspiring. The other thing that was implied in the film was that Jerry had a mentor, and a mentor yes. with values. And Dickie one Fox. of the, one of the things I've noticed with threes is that they're very good at modeling, which is close to their defense of trying to seem like they're somebody other than they are. But they're very good at, say, having a role model and stepping into yes. the role model and be, uh, acquiring the basis for a skill or or some sort of uh, talent. And then after they grow and change or after they succeed at what they set out to succeed at, they are very good at being mentors. Yes, I, I that's that's a great point, and uh, I, I agree with it. It just made me think of a number of clients I have who are often talking about their mentors, right, in very deliberate mm -hmm. and you know consistent ways. 
Um, and and again, uh, Maria Jose, to your point, this desire to to really bring out the best in other people, right? And so, um, you, you know, uh, the U.S. Army used to have this very three-ish slogan of "Be all you can be," right? And we see people like Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra and motivational speakers who you know tend to fall into that three thing. And it can almost, you know, in some of them it's insincere, and in others it's sincere. But I, I would agree that when it is coming from a sincere place as it is a lot of the time in threes it is very moving right again to that point i was making earlier about the three sensitivity and desires for their families and so forth so yeah so i i, I want to be sure that we're fair to threes because again they get beat up on a lot but when they do tap into that hard quality it really is quite special and you know we need threes around right i mean they they have this ability to bring out so much in other people and to achieve things that you know we'd still be living in caves if it weren't for threes i think what i liked about the movie is what um i think tom you said at the beginning that it's not like he's kind of the bad version and then he becomes the good version it gets goes in and out of that kind of the better higher qualities of the three throughout the movie and yeah. and i think that shows how real people are we're not yeah kind of completely wrong or bad or and then become kind of uh, a good person or grow in every aspect. I think we are more complex and we tap into these good aspects and then kind of leave. And And I think this movie shows that really well. Well, the, the Enneagram is describing central tendencies. Uh, and the ones that people usually want to get over are the defensive excesses of their style. And but that's a that's a central thing. It's a and when somebody grows and changes, they change in relation to that central thing. If they're using the Enneagram and prescribed methods, and in that process, there's three steps forward, two steps back. A lot of the time, you mm -hmm. watched him go into it, get in touch yeah. with something, but it was so alien that it wasn't going to stick. Yeah. And yeah. then the more experience you have with that very thing is the, you know, the better. Yeah. It was like he got scared mm -hmm. and, yeah. and then back. Yeah. yeah got scared. Yeah. And that's the low side of six, you know, kind of yeah. trying to uh, conceal or there's a counterphobic version of six also, mm -hmm. uh, or the connection to six, excuse mm -hmm. me, from yeah. three. Where you and Tom Cruise has it in real life, I think he dives out of airplanes all the time and yeah. does you know daring physical things. His next one of his next movies is uh, going to be shot in outer space. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I hadn't heard that. I know he's uh, you know has done incredible stunt work and you know right. really pushes the limits on that. Uh, it's surprising that the insurance companies will insure him given some of the things that he does. So, and again, for me, that just shows this tremendous dedication to excellence that he has. Right, mm -hmm. uh, that you have to admire. I mean, so anyway, so my cynicism about the movie aside, I think it is fair to say that it really does capture the three at their best and their worst right um and it does you know accurately capture 
these themes of growth for a three. Um, so if you're, you know, um, wanting to see a good example of three and how they grow and change over life, Jerry Maguire is a good place to go. So uh, we're going to wrap this up here and uh, then we're going to start changing topics a little bit and talk about uh, some other Enneagram related things about uh, movies in general from Tom's perspective and um, the state of the Enneagram as it is. And zombie movies so thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time cheers bye-bye thank you for listening to the enneagram in a movie podcast part of the awareness to action podcast network find out more about the enneagram and our offerings at awareness to action.com and if you enjoyed the episode please go online and give us a review we'll see you next time